Hello and welcome to the Motormouth Podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. Hello, hello. Another week of lockdown and we hope you're staying safe and healthy and keeping sane. We've got another bit of escapism for you this week and loads of new guests lined up over the next month for you as well. So you can still get your weekly dose of motorsport chat with some of the biggest names from the sport we all love. Uh, Thank you so much to you guys as well who continue to download and listen. If you like it, please do leave us a review. It really helps us get bigger. This week, we're chatting with the broadcaster and journalist, Mr. Formula One himself, Will Buxton. He joined us to chat about his journey into Formula One, his uh, sassy GP2 commentary memories and, well, educating me on my classic Formula One knowledge, which, as you'll hear, is probably well justified. I'm off to brush up on my classic F1 and here's our chat with Will. So here we are, episode 22 of the Motormouth podcast. We're hugely excited to be joined by a charismatic, respected and globe-trotting motorsport reporter, journalist, commentator and now author. Before we introduce him, however, I have to head all the way over to the home of Towie and Tans to say hello to Essex and my affable, indispensable cohort, Harry Benjamin. How are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you very much. Another lovely introduction, I must say, without the big feet references this time. I can put some big feet references in if you'd like me to. No, we'll leave it. I get sent far too many feet pictures we're fine um yeah no all well here no tan uh sadly although it has been quite sunny um but yeah no lockdown life still ongoing i had a week off my joe wicks so i need to oh, get back on that uh because it's a killer he says it's for kids he's lying i know um and uh i'm kind of debating whether to uh, cut my own hair or not yeah do it you need a haircut you've got a bit of a fro um, oh, no, I really do. I uh, I've got into running, so I uh, since uh, you know the fa- run five, uh, oh, nominate no, five, pass. Yeah. Oh, that. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. So I started doing that, and uh, I did my five k um, on Saturday, and I've run a minimum of five k every day since, and uh, I'm going to run five k every day that we're in lockdown, and I've never run before. Like this is a totally new thing for me. I've never run five k in my life, apart from once with my mate Greg, maybe two years ago. So this is just a subtle brag then. Yeah. It's a subtle brag. Um, and I wasn't going to tell anyone. Now I'm telling everybody because I wanted to get through it and then say I've done like 60 days of 5Ks. Um, but but I feel quite proud of myself. So I'm feeling quite fit and trim at the moment. Well, yeah, well, it sounds like by the end of lockdown, we'll be ripped. Yeah, Perfect. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, shall we get on with today's show? <laughs> Please. <laughs> so today we are joined by Will Buxton, a man who has become one of the most recognisable faces in Formula One and motorsport broadcasting. His distinct presenting style has won him an army of fans from across the globe. He shares some tenuous links with me, born in 1981, just like me, 22 days after me. He hails from Southern England, like me. He became a chorister dressed in a robe at college just like me and eventually found himself in Formula One just like me. It's time to unpack and unpick the life and mind of a man with everlasting enthusiasm. Will Buxton, welcome to the Motormouth podcast. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us, Will. Uh, not not dressed in your chorister outfit uh, currently, which I'm a bit ashamed of. No, um, it doesn't fit anymore. I had to give it back as well. Shame. You know, oh. Once my balls dropped, that was mm. it. Yeah, out. that's when you're out of the club. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, first of all, how are you coping with uh, with lockdown life? Well, I'm, I'm not sure I can humble brag to quite the same extent. But, you know, I was just out raising money for charity. And it's kind of thin, there was know? no humbleness with that brag. I do it every day. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, how am I dealing with it? I'm going potty. I'm going absolutely mad. Um, but I managed somehow to get hold, uh, get my hands on a hot tub. 
Oh, lovely. Which are rarities at the moment. Um, yeah, I sort of had a, a, a bit of a moment where I, I, I thought, you know, everyone's buying something. Like, what's the craziest thing you've bought in lockdown? And I, and I really wanted a new guitar. Mm. And uh, and my other half sort of went, well, if you're going to buy one of those, then you can get me a hot tub. Laugh, laugh, laugh. So got the hot tubs. Now um, <laughs> she doesn't know, but I bought, I bought myself the guitar that I wanted. So that's arriving. Oh, soon. amazing. Is it an electric guitar? One, really. Is it an electric one or acoustic? Um, it's, um, it's an electroacoustic. It's a 12-string uh, ovation. Ooh. So I'm very, very excited about that turning up. Oh, so you, so we were going to ask later on if you had any hidden talents. I think we've already uncovered one. So you, you play well, the guitar. You've never, heard, you've never heard me play. So <laughs> true. <laughs> <a talent. laughs> um, but no, I love. It. I, it, actually, that's one good thing about lockdown. It's given me some time to get back to playing my guitar and playing the piano and. Um, yeah, doing doing all kinds of stuff. Really, it's been that is the one crazy thing about this lockdown is although it is you know it's it's you know very horrible what's going on. It does allow for people to sort of take stock of things and have that you know flick that switch off for just yeah. a little bit because everyone's yeah. just so busy, aren't they? Especially well, I don't know about you guys going around the world. Do you have a a, a list of chores that is seemingly uh, magically sort of rewrites itself every time you cross Endless. something off the top? Something yeah. miraculously appears yeah. at the bottom yeah. that you've not yeah. seen. Yeah, I'm managing to fill the time. It's weird, you know. You'd like to think that you can kick back, you know, gather your thoughts and sort of, you know, get all zen. But the reality is that there's stuff going on constantly. I've got two kids with another one on the way, and it's just complete chaos. I just spend my days walking around after an annoying two and a four year old, just clearing up toys whilst trying to have conference calls and you know all the rest of it so um yeah it's a busy old time regardless of lockdown but let's hope we all come out of it soon um now listen will uh, when did it all come about when did you get the motorsport bug can you remember when that moment kick in and and what was life like for you all those years ago um growing up and was there was there motorsport in the family how did it all come about um so my first experience with motor racing was at the prescott hill climb when I was about four or five. And I'd completely forgotten about this until I was going through some stuff at my mum's house um, a couple of months ago and found this drawing that I'd done um, the, the, the day that I'd been, um, when I was sort of four or five. And the one thing I do recall about it, aside from sort of the smell and the excitement and the, and the noise, was there was this huge um, tent um, that some of the cars were being displayed in. And it had run, you know, it was held up with those huge bird tent pegs, you know, the massive metal ones. And me being, you know, four years old, sort of ran into it and gashed my shin really badly. And I've still got the scar on my shin. Um, so I like to say that motorsport physically affected me <laughs> from uh, from that moment. But yeah, that, I think that's when that's when the bug hit. My my dad wasn't really that that big a fan of of racing knew you know knew what formula one was and knew you know racing drivers but it wasn't a thing that we did in the house we didn't sit down and watch grand prix and then i think after that day we just sort of fell into it and and dad and i would watch would watch the races and uh and it just sort of it all started there and you know we grew up in an amazing era you know growing up through the 1980s yeah my first memories of watching formula one are those those red and white cars flying under the trees of what would have been Hockenheim or Monza or, yeah, yeah. you know, I don't really have a recollection of the first race I, I can recall watching. It just, it was just there. And I just, mm-hmm. and I, I fell in love with it and, and Senna, obviously, yeah. um, you know, and, and, and that's where the bug really, 
your Sorry, your era start. of um of f1 um memories will be the same as mine um because we, we match in age we and harry and i were talking about this before we came on on here um a, about the eras that we most remember and like you you know i i, I go back to you know the, the the red and white mclarens uh benetton being in the sport you know all these names like sato and you know the schumachers and so on and and harry is just I has feel like a fraud zero uh. interest in that he's t- so i'm i'm the same as you i'm 39 he's he's how many 20 22 i'm 20 Twenty-three. Yeah. So wow. I, yeah. So I mean, I've got I've got a much older family. They're all you know they're all in their third. My I've got three older brothers, so they're all older. So I've grown up with a you know old, an older instinct. But my interest in Formula One, obviously, those are gold. That's a golden age of Formula One. It, it's brilliant. But my automatic interest, like for instance, F1 did the replay of the 2012 Brazil Grand Prix last weekend. I was all over that. Knew exactly what happened. Exciting race. Loved it. Yeah, the cars, they, you know, they had the horrible step in the nose and that kind of thing. But I thought, yes, you've got, look at that. Such a Look at the history. Race. Look at the history. Look at the history. <laughs> Eight years ago. <laughs> and then when, when there's the 1992 Monaco Grand Prix. I love that. Something in me just doesn't, doesn't have the same appeal. And I know that is a horrible thing to say, but I'm just not as drawn to it. I know that's, I know that feels like I shouldn't like Formula One then, but that's just, I don't know. It's just something that, that, that is in me. Sacrilege. It's kind of like, I I I I, don't, I genuinely don't know what to do with that. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's like, terrible. I don't know. It's like, oh, don't get me wrong. That's like accident, it's accidental partridge all over the place. You yeah, know. Yeah. Well, don't get me wrong. Who are wings? They're only the band the Beatles could have been. <laughs> yeah. You know. No, it's, don't get me wrong. I love that. I I watched it. I watched it. I loved it. That all that kind of stuff. But it's just something. You know. I I'm more. You know. I don't know it as well. It's, it's yeah. Not what I grew but that's up fun though because you can watch yeah, the 1992 Monaco Be Grand surprised. Prix and yeah. think that Mansell might actually get past. Yes. You that's can watch. True. <laughs> you know. You can watch um, um, the, the 1994. Japanese Grand Prix yeah. and be as confused as we all were at the time of how the hell are they going to work this one out on aggregate um, and all of that. Really. Okay, well, I know, I, you know, I'll use my lockdown to go back into the archives of all the yeah, good idea. If it's the first time ever, nobody oh, seventy oh. years worth of great racing to get yeah exactly. Nobody oh, sports like, oh, set then. Nobody sports a moustache like Nigel Mansell anymore. Oh, you know, well, where, yeah. where are the moustaches in Formula One? It's an absolute mm. disgrace. Well, because they're all too young. They're all yeah, too young. They're can't grow, grow them. Proper moustache. They try to grow the facial hair to sort of look a little bit as yeah. we all did yeah. um, at that age. Um, we all tried to sort of go, "Oh, look, look, look at me! I'm I'm 21." Yeah. Well, yes, quite case in point. Yeah, Harry's got a lovely beard. I'm 22. I can grow facial hair. Mm. You can't grow facial hair, and mm. it looks like you've just sort of. Mind you, know. I'm I'm 39, and I still can't grow facial hair. I can't. You know, can't this is it. it. This is like five days growth, and you can't even see it on camera. This, this is like, this is, I've grown all this under lockdown. That's like six weeks. <laughs> is that it? Oh. <laughs> anyway, we digress completely. We're on to yeah. beards and stuff already. God, what, what, where, where were we? Um, Will, was there a point where, obviously, you got into it when you were four or five years old. Was there ever a, a point where you were either side of, do you, did you ever want to be a racing driver or was it always the reporting, talking, writing about it? I... I didn't even know that it was possible to be a racing driver. Yeah. You know, it just wasn't, it wasn't on the radar of things that seemed likely or that you could do. You know, it wasn't a careers fair at school, be a racing driver. It wasn't one of those things. And um, we didn't really have a kart track near me. I don't, I don't think I even got into a go-kart until I was maybe 14, 13 or 14. Um, actually, 
Cadbury's um, did a promotion with Nigel Mansell. I think it must have been maybe 92 or 93. Or maybe it was 94 after he ran those races. Anyway, either way, you collected a certain number of, of chocolate bar wrappers and you would get a free 10 minutes at a local go-kart track. Yeah. And so I did that at a track in, goodness, I can't even remember where it was now. Um, I think it might have been Weybridge. And... Uh, and so I did it and, uh, and, and, and loved it. But by that point, you know, I would have been too old anyway. Yeah. And, you know, they always say those who can do and those who can't talk about it. Yes. And, <laughs> and everything I've ever done where I've had to get into a car and try and drive it fast. Um, I've not been incredibly good. Yeah. So I think I was, I, was Join the club. No, I never had any, any delusions that I could be a racing driver. At what point did you start to think, um, I want to be in motorsport in some capacity? Um, and, and when did you realize that you had a, a penchant or a talent for, uh, for writing and, and broadcasting? So I, I always loved writing and, uh, you know, English language was, was always one of my favorite subjects at school and history. They were, I loved, I loved them as a kid, but, um, it was really when Senna was killed that I, I knew what I wanted to do with my life because um, I, I think I was probably the only person in my class that, that loved Formula One, like properly loved it. And, uh, and no one really understood when Senna was killed why I was that sad, why I was that heartbroken. This guy who I'd always seen as, as immortal was, was gone. Um, but my dad bought me my first copies of Autosport and Motoring News that week. And I read in those magazines words that provided me with understanding and solace and comfort and i thought that's what i want to do i want to i want to make that nerdy geeky 13 year old whose mates don't really get what he likes i want him to feel that it's cool to like it and so i knew from age 13 that's what i wanted to do i wanted to write about formula one Got you. and um yeah that's where the that's where the crazy journey began. And you carried that through into university. I read somewhere or heard that you wrote a thesis in the politics of Formula One. Yeah, so it was. You obviously really knew that this was <laughs> this was the road the road you were pardon the pun the road yeah, you were going to totally, go down. You know, I, I went to uni to study politics um, because my cousin, who was a leader writer at the Times, suggested I do that rather than getting a degree in journalism, um, just in case the journalism thing didn't work out. I'd have a a politics degree to fall back on who knows i might be in in you know the the, the halls of westminster by now oh. it's not worked out um <laughs> it's there's a scary thought yeah. so um you were yeah, boring so, i like so it I, I think sort of to try and get out of writing anything vaguely serious for my dissertation i wrote it on the politics of formula one which you know had lofty ambitions to prove that um, in Formula One was this um, sort of perverse form of democracy that wasn't practiced anywhere else in the yeah. world with a, uh, an elected leadership and a, a constitution and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We could learn something yeah. about liberal or illiberal democracy by studying Formula One. So no wonder they tried to fail me off it. It was complete shit. <laughs> <laughs> was, it, was it not? Was it not a first class at the end of that? Or no, I was on for a two-one, and that dissertation ground me down. I mean, literally, borderline third to a two-two. I was, no. I was just, just a dead man. Scraped just. it. God, we we've had our, our fair share of intelligent um, guests on this show. We had um, Jack Aitken, whose podcast goes live He's today. As we were very Love clever, Jack. very clever, smart, smart, smart cookie. Um, so when 
so when did things progress and you started to find yourself in in uh, situations where there was the opportunity to um, write uh, professionally or find yourself in front of a camera? So it, it all came about because I went to an auto sports show in 1999, I think, or 2000. It would have been 2000, I think, um, with my dad. And at the back was this stand for the new Formula One magazine that was being launched, the official F1 mag, Bernie's mag. Um, and there sitting at this booth was David Tremaine, who was one of the journalists that had made me want to become a journalist. And I went up to him and I said, I, I really want to be an F1 journalist. Um, can you help? And he said, okay, send me a thousand words on anything you want. And I, I did, and it was kind of rough around the edges and he, but he liked, he saw something in it and he liked it. And, um, he put me on to Joe Sayward, who helped me out with my thesis when I was at, uh, at university. And I started writing for Joe, um, on Grand Prix.com while I was still at uni, kind of a, you know, a view from outside the sport, young view from outside the sport. And again, it was kind of, it was quite, it wasn't great in terms of what I was writing, but I was starting to find a voice and mm. starting to find a style that I was comfortable with. And then I left union. I was working in a bar and one day I got a call from DT and it just said, uh, he said, look, I want you to come into the mag. I need help writing the uh, news review for the 2002 F1 annual. Would you come and help me write it? So I said, yeah. And I did 10 days there and I never left. Wow. Amazing. So when, post in your life you're you're writing when did the crossover to broadcasting happen how did that how did that even come about it was a massive mistake um, <laughs> <laughs> basically uh i did so i did uh, i did a couple of years at f1 mag until it closed down and then i freelanced for a year living in a camper van and at the end of that year there was just there was no money i, I completely bankrupted myself there was no work going um and i got a phone call from the guys who were setting up gp2 to say, did you want to be our press officer? And I was like, that sounds brilliant. Cause I loved formula 3000 at the time. The source, it was brilliant and, um, loved being with the young guys who were trying to make their way through. And, and so I went and I did, I was press officer and then became director of communications at GP two living in Switzerland, which was lovely. But the call of journalism was always there. And mm. I found being in PR quite a bitter pill to keep swallowing. Mm. Mm. Um, so I went back to journalism in 08. Uh, yeah, oh eight, five, six, seven, GP two. Oh eight, went back to journalism, and at the end of that year, I was in China, and uh, GP two Asia was racing in China um, on the F one bill. But normally, they'd been with the supercars, and supercars had provided a commentator for the world feed on GP two Asia. But here we are on F one weekend. There's no supercars. There's no commentator, and all of a sudden, they needed someone to talk about GP two, and I got a call out of the blue because uh, Tony Dodgins, who was spotting for FOM, had suggested me because he's like, well, Will knows everything there is to know about GP2 because he used to be the press officer. He was there from the start. Uh, plus, he's he never stops talking. So you might as well stick a microphone in front Perfect. of his mouth. <laughs> Marriage and, made in heaven. And that was it. No warning, no training, no nothing. Here's a microphone. Here's a set of headphones. Go and commentate. And, and, the deep end, and yeah. that was it. How and did I did the whole next year of GP2 commentary. How did you take to it, Will? At that, at, that, at that stage, how did your first commentary, how did you take to it? Did, did you find it tough? Did it just roll off the tongue? Well, the, the most difficult thing is I didn't have a co-commentator. Yeah. So I wasn't just commentating. I was having to figure out how to commentate and keep it going and look at the timing screens yeah. and figure out what was going on in the race with all the positions. 
um, not swear and and keep it and keep it ticking um, and going out on a on a global broadcast. It was terrifying. And I just kind of developed a style, which I think I almost sort of talked to myself for Mm -hmm. for some of it and, you know, asked myself questions and answered them. And, you know, I was quite opinionated with it because I didn't have a foil. I didn't have a, an ex driver or a pundit who could be the opinionated one. And I could just be color. Um, I had to be everything. Yeah. And so I developed a style that was quite it grated for a lot of people because I was quite opinionated and I wasn't what a commentator traditionally should have, should have been. Yeah. But it just came from that having to be, you know, having to do everything. Yeah, having yeah. a co-commentator was amazing because it just freed yeah freed me. i mean it's it, it, we, we can relate to that a little bit i mean harry and i always do these things together we do all our video content together and and the thought of not having harry there is horrible because you know you sort of think you know if, if I, I i'm running out of things to say i need to think about that next question but i've still got it you know and you could so quickly lose your train of thought and get in a muddle and to have someone there to jump in is such a nice thing to have oh to- totally because you know you might need to just take a moment to look at the timing screen yeah because you might want to right I'm, i need this person and i need to know what he's doing and what's his lap times and and if you're talking about something you might need to check through your notes yeah. for the last time they had a pole position or, or whatever it might be and if you don't have somebody there that's keeping an eye on the screen in case something happens you can't you can't yeah. move your attention around so it, it became quite a running joke that i was terrible at figuring out championship permutations and the maths <laughs> of it because i couldn't look away from the screen yeah I needed like one of those huge calculators with the buttons that are the size of your fist yeah. to, you know, to yeah. start trying to do the, the having, having listened to your, your GPT commentary, that's one of the, the, what I think stands you out is because you, you kind of do say what you think and, and you're a bit, you know, I, I hope you don't mind me saying this. You're a bit sassy with it as well. Yeah. yeah God, I was, wasn't I? Which um, I have done, a, I've done a, we have a quiz, uh, which will feature some of your best moments from GPT Oh God. Commentary. Okay. Um, but that's, I think that's what, that's what, you know, I, I like to think people these days like to see more, you know, a human side to sport as well. You know, yeah. they want to see that kind of comedy sassiness come out and you'd be like, what the hell were you doing? You know, well, how can you just sideswipe him? Blah, blah, blah. That's not on, that kind of thing. And, and people will be like, oh my God, I can't believe he's saying this, but also agreeing at the yeah. exact same time. I, I, there was, it was an odd thing. Having spent those t- that time in GP2 as a press officer, you, there was kind of, you thought, not off, wow. Kind of like almost like a fatherly sort of role that you sort of felt because they were all like, all your kids coming through, yeah. and you, you had to sort of try and keep them on the on the straight and narrow. Yeah. So if they did dumb stuff while they were, ra- I would, I did. I was like, what are you doing? You know, come on, man, you're better than that. That exists. Yeah, yeah. And but you know, some people felt I was too close to it. I was too matey. Like when I went on the podiums, I was a bit too like, wait. Um, but but. I could, you know, I, as with everything, I've never tried to be anything but just be me. And and I yeah. think to have done anything else would have been false. I, a lot of people looked at what I did and thought I was being false. How did your How did your style go down in the states? Well, here's the thing. So you talk about that style and the sort of the sassiness. I didn't realise that my world feed was being listened to quite so intently in the states. Um, and the guys at Speed Channel loved it, right. and they're. F1 pit reporter at the time was Peter Windsor and he went off to start the USF1 team uh, which never saw the light of day in the end quite sadly Mm. Um, but um, they needed a pit reporter and they'd heard my GP2 commentary they loved it they loved the sass and the silliness (laughs) and said do you want to be our pit reporter and that's where 
front of camera television started. I've right. never done or I mean, look, we grew up at the same time. Murray Walker was oh. was it, right? He yeah. was the commentator. He was the man. And Ted was in the pits and um, you know, and James Allen and you know, but you didn't dream that you would be doing that ever in your life because yep. that's what they did. That you know, they were the ones, and and so I never imagined for a million years that I would would get to talk about uh, Formula One yeah. ever. Yeah. Um, and then this call came from the states, and it was as I said, it was a mistake. The whole thing was the snowball effect of one tiny opportunity becoming something which became something else, which became something else, and just led to. And, and I suppose having the, the, that year before, just jumping back ever to say that year before that first becoming GPC press officer, we you touched on it there, living in a camper van and traveling yeah. around for a year. That that must have been one of the most, I don't know, how do you look back on that? Was it quite an uncertain time or was it actually, I'm so glad I did that. It was so much fun. So it was really uncertain, but that's what made it so fun. I was convinced that at the end of 2004, I wouldn't ever walk into a Formula One paddock ever again. I thought this was it. You know, this I've, I've had a lovely time, great run. I'm going to try and make something out of it, but it's probably not going to happen. So I was determined to have fun, and I had a I had a great time. I had a brilliant time. Um, I got absolutely steaming with the fans in the campsites over the weekends and then I'd get up in the morning and go to work and come back and you know just have armfuls of merchandise that the teams had given me to you know give all the the, you know all the fans that I was camping with but it was um I think it was really important for me and everything I've done since and it's informed me of why I was doing it and what the fans wanted to hear because I Mm. am just a fan you know but when I came back at the end of every day there was stuff they wanted to know stuff they hadn't learned from watching the broadcast or whatever it was you know being in the grandstands and they wanted to know what that person was like and you know what happens at this time and what happens there and what's that all about and uh, you know Formula One is better now but it used to be so exclusive and yeah. so secretive and so closed off and so I saw my job as and still do now as being that bouncy guy coming out of the paddock back into the campsite to tell everybody what had happened yeah. and why it was mega and why it was brilliant and open it up and that, that that year has has I think sort of informed everything I've done since can you can you put a number on how many races you've been to yeah, I was working it out this morning. It's sad you shouldn't really do that. No, that's a bit, but, bit nerdy. Um, I don't like it. else to do. Exactly. Um, <laughs> if there are 11 Grand Prix this year, then I'll hit 250. Wow. Wow. Um, but in terms of races that I've commentated on, um, or sort of worked work on, um, if there are 16 Grand Prix this year, then I'll hit my 550th. Wow. Amazing. Total. Ooh, that's um, good going. Inclu- and that includes GP2, GP3, GP2 Asia, yeah. IndyCar, F1, everything. Have you got, so, if you hit one of those milestones, is there a big plan to celebrate? It's not really the dumb thing, but yeah. <laughs> I, think I think we're going to celebrate everything yeah. this year. Right? Yeah, yeah, I think you've got to. Yeah, Literally, yeah. the first time, I'm, I, like, first time I can go 10 minutes further, you know, beyond... Beyond the shops. Know, <laughs> I, do, I mean, literally, Tesco in Bista like a holiday right now that is that is as far from my house as i'm allowed or have been in six weeks it's very strange yeah. isn't it yeah it really it's... is odd um you touched on uh america indycar you were out there for a while did you move out to the states was that uh that you simply just flew out there and reported on that but what was that because indycar had you were you familiar with that style of racing before you went out there 
So I'd always watched it and always loved it. And it was part of being uh, with NBC. NBC had the rights to show uh, certain IndyCar races. It's the way they do it in the States. They sort of split between or used to split between two broadcasters, between ABC and and NBC. Um, And uh, NBC, obviously, I was there pit reporter when I moved over from Speed Channel and I, I loved working with NBC. It was such a great company to work for then. It's a great, great group of people. And they said, do you want to come and do a couple of IndyCar races? And the first IndyCar thing I ever did was I went over to report on the Indy 500 for Quali Week. So th- this is a weird thing. NBC had the qualifying week. ABC had the race. Right. Um, which was okay because NBC obviously had the Formula 1 rights and I was in Monaco for the week of the Indy 500 anyway. But I did the whole qualifying week. Um, so wrapping your head around how the qualifying week works was huge. And I, and I, it was, I remember sort of signing off from, uh, from Indy and I was so emotional on the last broadcast that I did that week. Cause it's just such a, an incredible place. Mm, and, mm. and it was, it was a really emotional uh, broadcast. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I, I would have done, honestly, there was, there was a point at which when I knew NBC were losing the rights to, to F1, where if, if they'd made me an offer to stay and do IndyCar, I, I, I think I would have done it uh, because I, I just love IndyCar. Yeah. I really, really do love it. And I love working for NBC. Um, and uh, yeah, if things had worked out differently, I might have, have, have done that. But of course, as you say, I was commuting from the UK to do all my races uh, for speed and for, for NBC because it, it, it makes sense to be based in Europe if you're doing Formula One. Yeah. Um, but had I had I stayed with NBC and done IndyCar, had that offer been made, then yeah, I think I, I would have, I would, well, I would definitely have had to move to the States to make mm. it. Financially I, I'm with you. Indy, I love IndyCar. It's a great championship. The Indy 500 is, is a brilliant, brilliant race. And I, I could very happily watch it all the way through from start to finish. Um, yeah. What What's your honest opinion on Formula One today? Uh, there's not a lot of it happening. Uh, <laughs> That's it's very true. There is not a lot of happening. What's my honest opinion on it? Look, I, I I think I think I think we've got into a sticky mess with Formula One. Like when we grew up, the cars were small and nimble. They were terrifying. They they shrieked and they looked scary. And you knew that the person controlling this thing was some kind of crazy god because they they could take this thing that looked untamable and and just thread it and dance with it and make it make it do things it shouldn't be able to do and and that that was that's why we fell in love with it these cars now are technological masterpieces but they're big and they're heavy and you lose the impression of the driver controlling the uncontrollable yeah when you see Verstappen get the thing sideways and somehow hold it, your heart races because that's why you fell in love yeah. with racing in the first place. It was, it was that kind of skill 
and seeing it. And we don't see it enough anymore. I hope that the 2021, which will now be 2022 regulations yeah, will yeah. bring that back. Yeah. The cars won't be so, you know, laden down with error, but they're still going to be heavy. Yeah. You know, we, we, I think we need to get to a point of, and whether that means bringing back refueling or whatever it might be to have lighter cars, I don't know. I've always been against refueling. I don't like the idea of it. I, 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 I don't think it leads to great racing. You just end up having all the passes made in the pits rather than on track. Yeah. But to get back somehow, somehow to that, 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 where cars looked and sounded terrifying. Yeah. And that's what made the drivers I the think, hear it. I, so it's, I, it. It's such a pity that the sound part of it is probably gone forever now, hasn't it? I mean, we're never going to return to the sound of a, a V12 screaming, um, yeah. which is a, a huge shame. I, I Like you, I'm hoping that the new, well, that when they do come in eventually, the, the regulation changes will at least make the racing closer. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the days, the, the, as, as you mentioned, of fighting a car and you get out of the vehicle and you are exhausted and you're a heap a mess you know those, those days don't seem to be there anymore and, and uh, I'm going to do it Harry I'm going to drop it I'm going to drop the, the management stuff in I'm oh. I hold my hands I'm going to do it when, when I was managing racing drivers Will um, and uh, I, I looked <laughs> after episode, I, <laughs> I looked after Max Chilton and he, uh, he he said that when he got out of the car sometimes even in somewhere like Singapore you know baking hot he's like I felt alright you know I felt tired and exhausted and I'd lost a load of uh, water but I felt okay you know these cars are manageable um so it's a pity yeah, but bear, but bear in mind that the drivers now are so much super fit than yeah. they've ever been before their training is is so much yeah. better than you're not james hunt getting out of the car and sparking up a cigarette a pack. exactly yeah. it's 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 a different time um and yes you know but the cars are heavier they're bigger they're, they are physical things to drive but the drivers are training in such a way that it you know it, it's not such a tax it's not such a burden on them i just mean in terms of you know, those small skittish things on the track looked scary. Yeah. And somebody, and, and the mad thing is, you know, all lap records were due to be broken this year by the speed of the cars. The, the cars are faster than ever, but they're so planted and they're so in control yeah. and the drivers are just, you know, on their fingertips driving it that you almost lose the majesty and the and the impressive nature of what these guys do, which is something that we would love to be able to do, and yeah. we can't. And they are incredible sports people and, and just wonderfully gifted and talented. But that's it's almost hidden by how incredible the cars are as yeah, well. Yeah. And that, but that's, you know, greatest technology in the world, greatest drivers in the world. It's going to come to a point where they are both so in tune with one another mm. that the technology hides what the driver does and that you know and the I don't know. I'm going to. Uh, is, is there a, there's no such thing as a silver bullet. No. You know? But uh, okay, to put you on the spot slightly, yeah. um, if you what what would what would you do? Is there like a top three? You know, or, or are there some suggestions that you would come up with if you were sitting there as Ross Braun, or you, you know, you're in charge of the regulations or whatever? What could you change to make things well, so better? Not, not just saying this because I work for them now, but I actually think the. The, the plan is 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 pretty solid um you know less aero more reliant on ground effect budget cap to try and make everybody yeah. you know, make the money work for them um so you you can't just get 
and it's happened with every era of Formula One that the dominant team gets the money because they're winning the races and they're getting the you know the percentage revenue blah 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 blah. And, you know those who have make the use of it and can take as many developmental routes as they want, and those that don't have have to pick one path and is it the right path? Blah blah blah. Anyway, all those little things together theoretically should add up to the Formula One that we want, and and I think I hope. I hope that it will it will give us you know the excitement that we want. Yeah. I think we look back on on eras with rose tinted glasses. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think we always do. Um, you know, I remember the first year I worked in Formula One was two thousand and two. Michael won the championship in June at the French Grand Prix. Yeah. yeah. What the hell did people talk about for the rest of the year? Yeah. You know, but. But apparently the 2000s was a golden era of Formula One. Yep. I remember years Absolutely when it was right. bloody dull. Yeah. And, you know, and uh, and the, and the 90, Damon still, I think, has the, the record for the biggest win ever, which was uh, won by a lap and a half or something, or two laps or whatever it was in, in Australia. You know, it's... Boring. I actually, yeah. <laughs> well, not boring, but you, you get like six finishes. Yeah, yeah. We have, we have an amazing era at the moment where actually if you look at the the comparative difference in pace between first and last, mm. that would be like the first two rows of the grids in the old days. Yep. You know, pole position used to be set by like half a second, six tenths, seven tenths. Now that's the whole top 15. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm totally with you. I, I think we do look back with rose-tinted spectacles and I definitely remember the days of seeing, you know, you, you'd always hear Murray saying, well, you know, um, Hill or, or Mansell is 90 seconds ahead of second place. And it, it was just a fairly normal thing. And yeah. um, But somehow we look back and we look at those amazing looking Williams cars with the, you know, the blue and the yellow livery and you just think, oh, those were the days. But, you, but I think our expectations are different. Yeah. You know, and we live in a world of, of bite-sized highlight reels and um everybody's saying oh well should the races be shorter and should we have this and should you know do you do you say should a football match be less than 90 minutes yeah yeah I mean, theoretically the only parts of the football match that are really exciting are like the glory goals yeah yeah and how many you know but is a one nil victory in the 93rd minute less exciting than a seven all thriller yeah you know, it's 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 impossible to say but you can't you can't sit there and say well we've had 92 minutes with no goals yeah. And that one goal at the end makes it incredible. You can't you can't then just throw away those ninety two minutes, can yeah. you? It's 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 but it's 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 an existential sort of question for all sport at the moment of what it will be in the future. But I think one thing we're learning under lockdown that is important is that sport is is really important to people. Oh, 100%. People are really missing it. Yeah, and, and, and even with all the, you know, the rise of esports and, and virtual racing mm. uh, and yeah. seeing Charles Leclerc dressed up as a banana, you know, it's it's great entertainment. We love that. But, you know, I, I am missing live racing, I've got to say. And, and you know, as Harry and I were talking about the whole e-racing thing and, and, and whether we like it or don't or like it for now. And then when real racing comes back, we'll all forget about it. Um, I'm sort of on the fence with it a little bit at the moment um but i like that it, it does give you a real insight into the the personalities I think, I think we're very lucky that we we like a sport and we're involved in a sport that can exist in a virtual sense and i think that's mm. that's you know one of the one of the real things that i've learned over the last six weeks is just how relatable motor racing is 
and and how easy it is to go racing in the virtual realm. Well, it was I think Jamie Chadwick was on. Uh, I think she said this morning on I think it was Newsbeat or something. How um, they're so lucky that as racing drivers that they have this virtual world that it, that the correlation is so uh, so. Obviously, there's huge differences, but it, the correlation is so close that they can. It makes sense. You know, there's no yeah. racing. What do all the drivers do? They get an e-rig in and they go and they go uh, e-racing. Yeah, because it's, it's simple. Yeah, because Lionel Messi is sitting on his sofa playing FIFA. Yeah. It's not the same, no. you know. But these guys are are in their rigs driving. Yeah. Um, and it's been wonderful to see. What really great to see. And it's been really interesting watching how different people have broadcast it. Yeah. You know, F1 already had an esports property and so that's been very much broadcast as esports was always broadcast for formula one and that already had its niche but then you look at indycar and supercars and they're doing their broadcast minute for minute uh exactly as a normal broadcast would have been for 2020 same crew same commercials yeah. same straps on the you know everything and it and that just feels like a normal broadcast yeah, that's and slick. then you've got the all-star races and you've got you know Flipping um, Jensen Button against Jan Magnussen and Emmanuel Piro and um, Juan Pablo Montoya and Emerson Fittipaldi. Fittipaldi, yeah. Brabham's around Watkins Glen. It's brilliant. <laughs> you know, it's, it's absolutely brilliant. And Emmanuel Piro goes and wins, sitting in a Friggin' fishing chair. Yeah, yeah, classic white, white plastic chair. chair. <laughs> it's mega. It's no, all it's good. imaginable scenarios that everyone's never thought would ever happen. And yeah. finally, they will You can make through. everything happen. Yeah. It's brilliant. Now oh, then, brilliant. Um, listen, Will, I think it's time that we tested your knowledge. Oh, so, um, yes. this, this is going to be like when, when Murray Walker did Mastermind. Oh, <laughs> it's going to be embarrassing. Yeah, prepare yourself. There is a leaderboard. Harry will fill you in. But this is the hardest um, quiz in motorsport. I will hand over to my esteemed oh, colleague what? to take you through the next few steps. Thank you, Tim. Yes, Will, welcome to Motormouths. Yeah, the hardest quiz in motorsport. Uh, phones away. Phones away. Help you. No it's cheating. Help you. Um, because it's, well, it's the hardest quiz in motorsport because no one really knows how it works. Uh, but we're getting there. Slowly. <laughs> uh, there's, a big, there's a big leaderboard. At the moment, Brennan Hartley tops it with 12 and a half points. Karun Chandok is last with three and a half. He had a shocker. <laughs> Rubbish. Excellent. That makes me very happy. Because <laughs> Karun, Karun is a, an encyclopedia on yeah. motorsport. He, 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 he just had a bit of a shocker he choked um, so three and a half to beat i've got four clips for you that you're gonna hear we're gonna play them out and they're all of you and they're all during your time from gp2 commentary okay um, now they are some some selected highlights now within each clip there are three points up for grabs uh all you have to tell me after each clip he's got his what, notepad what, out look yeah what's <laughs> going on the year and what track uh, and then there's a bonus question at the end as well so it's what so it, when what, and where yeah what when and where pretty much okay four um, times i'm gonna write this down what, four when. times what when where what when where what when where what when where and then there's a bonus question at the end which uh could well which does clinch it for some people so 12 and a half is the top of the leaderboard Three and a half to beat Karun. Uh, Tim, shall we have clip number one, please? Here it comes. Well, he is. He's also around the outside of Gonzalez. Now the inside line for Rosa. Oh, shut up. That's ridiculous. Three drivers in one and a half corners. <laughs> shut shut up. up. That's ridiculous. <laughs> All right, Will, what were you, what were you thinking? Uh, that is Roman Grosjean overtaking Chilton Chicotto. 
Gonzalez, three drivers in one and a half corners. Grosjean, I doff my cap to you, sir. Yes. Ridiculous. Commentary was doing with Karin Chandok. Barcelona, Grosjean. Ah, oh, crap. What Can year was it? Can you get the year? Can you get the year? Is it 2011? Yeah. <laughs> oh, full house. It's a full house. We never get one of those. Wow. I think you're going to do very well. Okay. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a strong start. I'm calling it now that this is going to go top of the leaderboard. I'm, I'm, all right, fair enough. I'm calling no, it's it. No, it's all going to go fair. Yeah, it's downhill from here. All right, let's go to clip number two. Here it comes. Let's to Cotto. What are you doing? What are you doing? Ah. Uh. Ah, that's that's Johnny Chicotto driving Sam Bird off track in Malaysia, I want to say. Correct. Yes, yes. Can you get the year? Oh. 13. No. Absolutely correct. Was it actually? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely correct. <laughs> My oh, word. Stressful. Oh, wow. Okay, that is a solid start. You're already way above Karun, so you're fine. Um, I'm feeling tense. Okay. Clip number three. Here it comes. Come on, Johnny! What is that? And now, all bogs, all together, crash, carambolage, um, everyone runs wide. Stupid. What even, what even was that word? What, what, what Karen Balage? <laughs> Karen Balage. Karen Balage. It's, it's a big, it's a big schmozzle. Oh. <laughs> schmozzle. You're I'm right. I okay. remember that one. Um, right. So again, it's, it's uh, everyone's favourite Johnny Chicotto involved, but what's, what's going on? Was that? It's a tough was, one. Was that with him and Canamasas had a like for like and coming through the last sequence of corners at Barcelona? Absolutely spot on. Oh. <laughs> yes. um, can you tell me the year, though? Oh man, uh, it is either it's oh is it? I think it's either twelve or thirteen. Well, if Canamassas is there, then it is it thirteen or fourteen. Oh, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I'm gonna go. I'll, I'll go 13 again. Oh, oh you're one out. It was 12. So it was 12. Oh, damn it, damn it, damn it. That was my original thought. Oh, yeah. oh. Not too shabby. That's two on that one, so that's not too bad. Um, final clip for you. Here we You've go. Done very well. Let's play the final one. Uh, one corner of the race completed. And Coletti is in it as well, right? Yeah. Is he? I thought he was... Ooh. Tough one. What's, what's going on? Well, I'm commentating with D'Ambrosio. Yeah. Is it the Monster Monaco shunt um, um, in... Well, Jerome wasn't racing, so it would be 13 again, I think. Um, Final answer? Yeah. That's three yeah. out of three. <laughs> Yes. Huge turn one pile up Monaco 2013 pretty much every drive Karen Balage Karen Balage, Karen Balage. Wow. okay for a bonus point and I mean you don't really need it but everyone gets the opportunity to get themselves a little bit higher up the leaderboard can you answer me this now I really hope it's right because uh, I did do the maths but it could be a bit shaky as of the end of the 2019 Formula 1 season how many drivers have graduated from GP2 slash Formula 2 to Formula 1? 
How many? Take your time. GP2 drivers. Yep. Yes, and that is including Formula 2 as well, the, the new... Oh, including Formula 2, including the, the end Formula of the 2019 two. season. So the end of the 2019 Formula 1 season, how many GP2 slash Formula 2 drivers have graduated to F1? Um, make your calculations, I'm just going to add some tension. What's your oh, answer? Man, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. What, are you, what are you doing? Are you writing down all the drivers you can? Think I was of? trying to write down all the, all the drivers. It's going to have to take um, a guess. 05 to nineteen. That's fifteen years average in twenty nine. Oh, good effort. It's not a bad guess, but you are wrong. Uh, it is 34 drivers. Oh, okay. More than I thought. Does that include reserve drivers on Friday? Uh, no, that is just those who have raced in Formula One. So uh, I should, should have specified that. Apologies. So you weren't including like when Ernesto Viso did that Friday practice session for Spike? No, if it was a one-off. No, if it was one-off. we I wanted a full season uh, of racing. Um 34 drivers have graduated, but but even though you didn't get that, you've still done remarkably well. Uh, and that has done you, one, two, three. You've got 11 points, which I'll take you it. Joint sixth. Oh, with, I, I know, thought it'd be higher. I, well, you needed that bonus point to really put you up the leaderboard. Yeah, because we've got a lead for, we've got a lead for, jo- Brendan Hartley's leading with 12 and a half. Then it's, How does he get 12 and a half? Because he got everything right and then half He got everything right point. and then half a bonus point. Yeah. And then, um, uh, then that, it, then it's 12 points. Ollie Webb with 12, Mark Priestley 12, Mark Blundell 12, Jenny Gow 12, and then Will Buxton 11. You're joint with Ollie Rowland and Sebastian Buemi. Oh, it gets a round of applause. Gow's beating me. I can't believe Gow. I know. That was a big rival there. So she's beaten me. I got it. It was a good effort. That's <laughs> that a tough a leaderboard. Effort, though, to be fair, a good effort. Um, That's really hard. I'll tell you, it's the hardest motorsport quiz in the business. Yeah. It's really hard. Uh, yeah. Did you play did you play Jenny back clips of stuff that she said? So it was a mix of clips in Formula One uh Radio. Uh, Formula One commentary Formula because Radio. Jenny Jenny came out, I think it was her first race for Five Live. Canada twenty twenty eleven. Yeah. yeah. The the <laughs> Colin Farrell moment yeah well she, yes. I think she had yeah she had many a moment in uh what was the colin farrell was that one so the colin farrell about? moment was she's it's it's chugging it down with rain yeah she's in the pit lane um and they throw down to her and jenny says oh thanks guys i'm down here in the pit lane uh with colin farrell and colin i've got to say i'm i'm soaking wet and colin oh farrell yes so that she told and us colin farrell yeah. goes i tend to have that effect on most women <laughs> and um <laughs> and jenny's mortified it's, i mean Brilliant. First Absolutely race. No, brilliant. she she had a couple. She 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 had one as well. She was telling us about um I thought it might have been Canada as well, where she was in the pits and she wanted to speak to she was in the the Renault, the Lotus the Renault team and she was she was talking to someone uh, she who she thought was the press officer if she could get um an interview with one of the drivers. So either uh, who was it, Nick Heidfeld or um uh Petrov and uh and the guy she was talking to, yeah, yeah, just and pointed her to a direction and then she later realized that she'd not been talking to the press officer, she was talking to Bruno Senna. Yeah. 
Uh, <laughs> outstanding. Outstanding. She's excellent value. She's brilliant. It, it um, happens, but it's it's the great thing with 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 you know with doing live broadcasting. Uh, when you you say something and you have to try and pull yourself out of it. Yeah. And it's oh man, it's fun. Well, listen. Well, that was a that was a very good effort on the quiz. So congratulations yeah, really on your sixth well place. Done. The prize Thank is in the you. post. Um, now, um, a few more quick fire questions for you. Who's your best mate in motorsport? Oh, oh, tough one. Mm. Um, uh, probably, probably Jason Swales, who I was, you know, my producer at yeah. um, NBC, and we're still working together at F1, and you know, we're we're, we're like an old married couple, really. We, we've travelled the world together for nearly a decade. So, him um, and James Moy, the photographer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, 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 my two busy mates. I'm oh, a big Always fan of his work. With a photographer, get some good pictures. Um, what about your professional aspirations? How, you know, you are you are Mr. Formula One. What what else is there to accomplish? My professional aspiration is <laughs> to um, be able to pay my mortgage every month yeah. and, uh, and hopefully not get fired. I think is, yeah. I think, I think if we can, if I can just not get fired, then I'm, I'll be doing winning great. a life. <laughs> I mean, look, when I set out on this crazy thing, I didn't think I'd be in it, you know, two years later, let alone 20. And, and it's, it's just such a joy. Mm. So I don't know what the next step is. I don't know. I don't know where we go from here. I don't know if I'm going to have like a 40 year career in the industry, if I'm going to be annoying people, you know, with, with my, with my gubbins for the next 20 years. I've got, I've got no idea. All I know is I'm, I'm absolutely loving it. And, uh, well, uh, we hope so. We hope, we, we hope you're still around in 20 years. Um, who, who's your idol? Do you have a hero? Uh, my dad um, was, was my hero. Um, I know it's kind of a bit of a cop out really to say that, but he, um, yeah, I, I admired him tremendously. Um, so, uh, yeah, my, my, my dad and Paul McCartney. Oh, <laughs> Harry, do you know who that is? Yes, I know who Paul McCartney is. <laughs> oh yeah. Stella's dad. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Would you present anything else? Uh, yeah, of course. What, um, would it be a cooking show? Yeah, probably at the moment. Yeah. Listen, if I don't get a cooking show out of this out of this lockdown, Mate, something's that, gone wrong. That man. kebab, uh, that that kebab it, looked unreal. It was. Do you know what? It's brilliant and it works. Yeah. It, that's tried and tested. Yeah. Don't think that's the first time I made that. It looks seriously um, good. And just just to point the whole thing, like no, of course I didn't. I've put yeah. it in the freezer because it freezes really well. And oh, okay, great. It, and then you put it on top of pizza. Oh yeah. Oh. And just just pizza is the way forward. Just okay. so we're clear on this, because some people who who might be listening might not be following you on Instagram, and if they if they're not, they should go and do it. But you in lockdown have been presenting a series of how to make certain um, food staples, including the Big Mac. Yes, the Big Mac. Well, you see, it was supposed to be. So it all started because I was I was having a chat with Vicky Perrier, W Series race, who I've known since the the GP three days. And she was just like, oh, you know, I really want a British Sunday uh, Sunday lunch. So I said, well, I'll do a cook-along on Instagram and show that it's really easy to do a Sunday roast. Like, it's it's so, so simple. But everyone freaks out about it, but it's really easy. So here's how we're going to do it. So I did a live, two-hour live cook-along on Instagram, which was really – and I was answering people's questions, and it was great. It was really oh, brilliant. fun. And loads of people said, you should do some cooking videos. So I 
all right, it's fine. So I, I started off by doing a couple of things that I like to eat on the F1 tour. So I did like a, this noodly dish and I did some Austrian potato salad. And then I was doing um, an interview with Lando Norris for the F1 um, Instagram thing. And I said, well, it's the first place you're going to go when this is all over. And he went McDonald's. Oh. And I thought, great, well, I'll, I, I, I got a recipe for Big Macs and I've got a recipe for doing my own sort of homemade sausage muffins. So I'll do those. So I did sausage muffins. Then I did the Big Macs. Um, and they're super easy. And they taste just like you get in the restaurant. Amazing. And then I did Donna Kebab. But the good thing with this is it's not full of crap. Yeah. Um, yeah. It tastes like that. Like a proper, there's not bit, a proper nice meal. There's not bits of yeah. claw in it and dog. Mm. No, and so no, you don't, you don't sort of bite into it and find a, you know, like a metal dog tank. You know, no, no. Ugh, yuck. Right. Um, what do you, what do you, uh, what do you rubbish at? Answering questions. I'm better at asking questions. <laughs> um, what am I rubbish at? What am I rubbish at? My other half would say tidying up after myself yeah. um, and uh, putting my clothes away and not leaving them on the floor. Um, what am I rubbish at? Um, I'm rubbish at lots I'm rubbish at I'm rubbish at an awful lot of, of things. Um, you can't think I of any though. I don't think I excel at too much either. But I, I well, I, you say that, but you, we saw you also on your your stories playing the piano quite nicely. Well, this lockdown has given me time. My my, I've got a room upstairs. Just got all my 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 books. I oh, got those books here, but it's kind of like a little library upstairs, and it's got piano and everything up there and it, it was full of boxes because we only moved in last year and I spent most of last year traveling so this has given me the time to actually clear the room out sit down at the piano and for the first time in I think a year and a half or two years actually wow. sit at the piano and start playing so that's been that's been lovely we could all really have a jam you know so this, we talk about this a lot because it's we're sort of na- narcissistic but um so Harry's a thespian he, he he's he's in shows he sings right. and he dances and he acts I I've I uh, I sing I've got an album. You play. You you, yeah, uh, I, I was shocked. When you, I heard you it. play the piano. You play the guitar. You sing. This this you, is a boy you, band made in heaven. I mean, it, it is, isn't it? Ourselves <laughs> wrong direction. Uh, <laughs> uh, do you actually sing? You've got an album. I've got an album, but it's not as cool as it sounds. He took the. I mean, it didn't sound cool to start far. with, but no. but I mean, now you're really selling it. It's like, a, it's a it's a. It's a choral album. Tim okay. has an incredibly yeah. high voice when he sings. It's quite remarkable. Mm. I've yeah, got Harry's a choral album too. Oh, if I could high five you right now, I would. You Virtual both have choral five. albums. Boom. 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 Oh <laughs> On Naxos, Worcester Cathedral Choir. Worcester Cathedral. Oh, Worcester. I've sung in Worcester Cathedral. There you go. <sighs> See, we've got more in common than we knew. Yeah. I've sung for the Queen Mother, you know, when she was alive. Have you really? Yeah, when she was alive and kicking. Yeah. Yeah, sung at NATO headquarters all around the world. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, listen, I we've got. Not. No, Harry hasn't. But you, you've sung in shows. <laughs> I have. I've sung at the karaoke bar on the end of Brighton Pier. That was fun. I won mm. 50 quid. That oh, was pretty good. Well done. What, you won 50 quid for your singing? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yes, I did. I was much younger. Yeah. I think I sang Eat Me by Lionel Richie. That's a. That's a. That's a. That's a, that's a yeah, what is it? Do you, is that. What's your go to karaoke song? I don't know. It changes uh, over yeah. time. I think I'd probably go with Jeremy by Pearl Jam now. Oh, good choice. Um, okay. It used to be Drive by Incubus. That's mm. a great karaoke song, but no one knows it. No. I went through a while of singing Me and My Monkey by Robbie Williams. That's quite <laughs> long and that's a bit... Uh, it's not one of his most recognisable songs. It's not, songs. and you've, you've 
you've got to play the crowd right because otherwise it will fall flat on its ass. I sung, uh, I, I did my girl in a, a gay karaoke bar for the irony, and and that that oh, went that went down okay. Dear. Oh, did it okay? Yeah. Uh, um, let's scooch it back to racing slightly. Um, Formula One, obviously, you love that. IndyCar, you love that. What about Formula E? We ask this to everybody. What are your thoughts on Formula E? Because it always divides opinion every time. So I've I've had a bit of a love-hate relationship with Formula mm. E, of sort of saying I thought it was really dumb and then saying I thought it was really good. And my issue with Formula E is I'm still not convinced that electric's the future. Um, because for as long or until we get to a point at which um, electricity is made purely from wind and solar and sea, mm. um, somewhere along the line, it's going to be doing some damage to the world. So if we if we truly want an eco-friendly future for racing, is it electric? My problem is I feel it's been over-prescribed. And what I'd like to see is it being um, more free. If they just dubbed it Formula Future, and this is what I've said for a while now, wow. and you let electric go up against hydrogen go up against you know whatever the the next advances are in future tech we'll play it out yeah you know and let the best tech win yeah um you'll see greater advances in that tech because you know racing is is war in peacetime you know the greatest technological advances are made in war yep or on the racetrack. So let's let's take the gloves off, give them the freedom. And, you know, why are the great Japanese manufacturers not involved more heavily in electric racing? Why is there no Toyota? Why is there no Honda? You know, I mean, you go over to Japan, everything is about, theory, most of the time, you know, when I've been over to Honda, they're, they're going on about hydrogen being the future. So yeah. if they're not involved in Formula E, why not? Yeah. Where, what do they yeah. see the future as being? And yeah. I and I don't know what the answer is, but I would like to see it be a formula future. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, no one's ever said that. Yeah, yeah, that's a very interesting take on it. I like that. Um, okay, but, we- I, I, but I love. Look, don't get me wrong. I think I think the, the the idea of taking racing to the people is great. The drivers are amazing. You know, I spent so long in GP two um, and Formula two and seeing all those amazing kids that that had so much talent and just never quite made it to Formula one. And that Formula E field are, you know, all those great races yeah. mm. that could and should have made it to Formula One that, that I would love to have seen, you know, your Sam Birds and your and your Antonio Felix da Costas and, you know, it's 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 uh, it's, great it's, it's good close shot. racing isn't it and it's it's um mm. it's if, if nothing else it's competitive um well, the other thing is and again we're talking about big cars rather than small spindly little things just make Either make the tracks wider or the cars smaller. Oh, it's a bloody spec series, man. Yeah. If you can't make a car that's narrow enough to race on the street, you either increase the width of the track or you make smaller bloody cars. It's your championship. <laughs> the trouble is, you make the track wider. You know I mean? Those those cars look. Like they, they're, they're, oh well, we're you know we're we're curtailed by the pr- prescriptions of the regu- you write the regulations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The thing is, they, they make the tracks wider. You know, you, if, you, if you took those Formula E cars to, to to Silverstone, they'd look so slow. That, yeah, that's that's it. the that's issue. It. But it's just, but that's, but that's the problem, isn't it? Yeah. You get, but, but so then when they go for the moves, it looks clunky yeah. because there's so little space for them to actually race. And it's brilliant racing, and they're great drivers, and it's a really intense, really wonderful championship. 
but it it looks clunky because the dimensions just are all too yeah tight yeah Yeah. Uh, it's it's an interesting one I mean the manufacturers love it don't they you know Porsche Mercedes Venturi uh, you know know, I think they were they were helped with the whole diesel gate thing yeah the emissions Uh, scandal they all had to double down on yeah yeah, so that's you know you just see have you just seen Audi pulled out DTM as well so they're really focused on that and I know awful so uh, well yeah so well for Formula it's it's clearly doing all right at the moment well uh, and they're even adapting to the e-racing world as well um what has been your most awkward moment as a broadcaster? Oh God! <laughs> so many. <laughs> yeah. Um, Is there one that stands out which you just think about sometimes and you go, "Oh crap! I can't believe that happened." Owen Wilson, uh, America um, was. Uh, I was on the grid. And uh, it was before I was doing grid walks and I would do sort of organized interviews and they'd throw down to me and I'd do an interview on the grid and then throw back to, right. to um And he'd just done the, the, the latest Cars movie and David Hobbs, who I was commentating with in the States, was also in that movie as the commentator. And I'd teed up Owen about it and I said, oh, you know, blah, 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 blah. We'll have a little back and forth with you, you and David. It'll be very fun. He was just like, yeah, yeah, cool. And I was like, I'll hand you the headset. And when we go on, he's just like, yeah, yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. That'd be great. And they came down to me. And I'm like, I'm here with Owen Wilson, blah, blah, blah. And I, you know, microphone across to ask him a question. And then he just looked at me, looked at the camera and walked off. Oh, my God. And I'm like, you prick. And so that was, I didn't know what to, I mean, it was awkward. Yeah, but. It was more awkward for him because he looked like a. Idiot. idiot yeah great tv um, but i think i don't know if he wanted to make me look like an idiot or what but i just thought you know what that's- was that ever has that ever been explained why he did that uh, or did no what no what an idiot. that was that was awkward that yeah. was awkward oh and another time um um I was doing a grid walk in austin and mansell knew i was trying to get to gerard butler to and it was a pre-agreed interview that we were doing and he kept looking at me and moving around his back like that so i couldn't get to gerard Butler, and i was just like What's the point, man? What are you, What's he doing that why for? Why are you doing this? Um, yeah. Should have pushed difficult. him. Should have given that him a big difficult. push in the back. Yeah. People being difficult for the sake of it is, yeah. uh, is tough. It's tough because you, yeah, that's, that's hard. The politics but, you know, of Formula One. Well, you roll with it. And <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, There's yeah. just no need for it, is there? There's no need for There's it. There's not. There's not. Let's all just uh, get along. Um, listen, we have uh, three final questions for you, which okay. we ask to all of our guests and we get a, a, a varying degrees of answers. Shall I kick off, Harry, with the number one? Yeah, go for it. What's gotten you excited at the moment? Oh, uh, the fact that I've got a guitar arriving yeah. within the next couple of days. That's got me very excited. The 12 string. Um, I, am, I am writing an article at the moment about my favourite car from a movie. And I've been having email exchanges with somebody that I never thought I would get to talk to and it's been really fascinating so that's been that's been great that sounds interesting um, and uh, yeah, oh and uh, and Gangs of London almost gave me a heart attack episode never one. seen it I don't know never if that got me it. excited or terrified but it's, um, <laughs> I needed a stiff drink after it is that is that a Netflix one yeah, no. B, uh, is it B? I think it's on the B, isn't oh. it? Or oh, Sky, something like that. Oh. Boy, boy. Never Ooh. seen it. Never seen it. Parental guidance. Oh. He's advised. 
Okay. My actually, oddly, my uncle used to do all that before. You know, before a Sky, a Sky, a Sky film, you have the, the following film is rated PG. Oh. My uncle's the voice for that. Oh. No way. Yeah. The following <laughs> film features violence. Yes. What's, what, what, what's your uncle's name? Uh, his name is Giles, Giles oh. Draper. Shout out to Giles. Okay. Um, <laughs> I know a guy that does those as well. That would have been weird if I'd known him. So, Will, if uh, not doing what you're doing now, what would you be doing? Chef. I think I'd probably, well, I'd either be um, a pretty hideous politician, <laughs> um, given my degree, or what I, and honestly, if this all ended tomorrow, what I would love to do is be a history teacher. Huh. Oh really? Yeah. What's your what, what's your much. era? What 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 which part of history? So mine I just love I love studying history and I think I think it's kind of I think being a teacher is is quite similar to what what I get to do for my job which is to talk about something that I love and try to get people excited about it and mm. I think that's kind of what what being a teacher is. Yeah. I just don't have to mark homework. Yeah. Yeah, that's the uh that's the, that's the annoying or thing. Keep, or keep kids, you know. Yeah, because uh, I don't think I'd be very good at. That. I think I'd lose my call quickly. <laughs> it is hard uh, to keep your patience. I'm homeschooling at the moment, and it's uh, it's a blooming nightmare. I will tell you, <laughs> absolute nightmare. The, our eldest one just will not sit down for more than five minutes and do anything unless it's watching something on TV or walking around the garden naked or something like that. He's an absolute <laughs> disaster of a pupil. Um, now, this our final question for you, and our, of course, our most highbrow question to finish on what are you scared of um i am scared of heights mm. ah interesting for my any reason legs, or is it just a natural fear my my legs go to jelly um i'm i'm terrified terrified what's that really tall thing in austin that they do as a cool yeah i was about to say that yeah that tower yeah yeah they never, uh never been they, up it then <laughs> No, they they keep trying to make me go and do a camera on it, and I'm like, you can go and do the other thing. Actually, um, yeah, oh, oh, they did manage to put me in. So there's this there's this thing in in Melbourne where you're in this room and the box goes out the side of Ooh. the building, and all of the it's all glass, um, but it's all dark, mm. and then suddenly the glass goes from dark to completely. Wow, see-through. that's cool. And you're in a complete glass box, and the floor is glass, and you're just like, "Oh my I'm god, gonna die!" Uh, it's, it's terrifying. <laughs> Sounds amazing. Terrifying. So, yeah, heights. Wow. I'm very, very scared of heights. Mm. Um, Are you okay in an aeroplane? Yeah. I, well, I, do you know what? I had a couple of years of, of being very, very nervy on flights, which, given the number of flights we do, was really bad. And I started pulling my hair out at the front oh um, when I was getting nervous. Um, and I had this really weird little kind of like bald patch <laughs> at the front there. I was I was getting really, really nervous on, on planes. But the heights thing on planes is fine. Yeah, it's it's when you're actually sort of physically, you know, you can yeah, yeah, yeah. look over, peer, peer over the edge. Yeah. Um, Will, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yes, really thank appreciate you. Appreciate it for taking the time. 
Thanks for having me. It's been great fun, guys. I really, really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore Instagram at Motormouth underscore official and on Facebook. Just search Motormouth. You can download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile and interact with others and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. Don't forget to like, subscribe and review. And until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth podcast. We here at Motormouth are a small, independent team. Since starting this podcast just over a year ago, we're reaching over 15,000 of you across 30 countries around the world. Uh, We want to bring the biggest names in motorsport to you. Find out about their lives and careers and have a chat about whatever is going on in the motorsport world. We are determined to carry on producing these episodes. However, they do come at a cost. From securing guests to equipment and editing software and expanding the podcast and app, That's why we've set up a Patreon page where you can help us to carry on doing what we do. There are three levels at which you can contribute, starting from £5 a month to £10 or £20. Each tier allows you slightly different levels of access. Depending on which one you choose, you can enjoy early access to podcast episodes, exclusive member benefits, merchandise, shoutouts, and your chance to feature on one of our shows. Any support you can give us is massively appreciated and will help us grow and continue to bring cool content to race fans all over the world.